Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 297 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, The Ring Digital YouTube channel, and ringtv.com. This is TNC 297 for the week of January 22nd. And sorry we're coming out about 10 minutes late. Uh, for some reason, about 15 minutes ago, the system wanted to do a software update. And um, I don't know why I decided to do it then, but it just decided to do it then. Anyway, uh, better late than never. You guys know I like being punctual. You know what I'm saying? So uh, apologies for being a little bit late. But uh, hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend after a very stressful, very loaded week on boxing Twitter. I uh, I logged out. You guys, you know, you know that. I, I did my show on my channel Friday uh, afternoon or late afternoon, early evening. And then I posted that everywhere and uh, posted the audio, you know, version on the podcast platforms and all that. And then I tweeted it out and that was it. I took the weekend off of boxing Twitter and it was great, man. From Friday night until today, Monday morning, no Twitter and um, no drama. So it snowed here in Atlanta, which was a lot of fun because it does that maybe once a year, sometimes twice a year. They're saying we might actually get snow again Friday. So if it actually snows again Friday, that would be twice within one week. I, I don't even know when the last time that has happened. But since we've been here, since we moved here a few years ago, it has snowed once a year every year. And it's usually just a dusting. But we got a couple inches yesterday and it stuck. So uh, the wife, you know, she's from Southern California. She's never seen this shit. I grew up around it every, every year, you know, it, I saw it for months, so it's not a big deal, but for her, she was going crazy. She was like a little kid. And, you know, I lived in LA for 10 years, man. It don't snow in LA. It only rains once or twice a year out there. And people in LA freak out in the rain, which I used to laugh my ass off about. But then I come here and people freak out in the snow. I laugh my ass off about that, but I got to admit. It was fun, man. It was a lot of fun. We got out and walked around. There's a strip of bars and restaurants and stuff, not even a mile from my house, maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile. We walked up there. A bunch of them were closed, obviously, but the ones that were open, they were showing the football games and stuff, you know, because it was wild car weekend. You go in there, you have an adult beverage, you have a little snack. It's fun. So uh, good times, man. I, I just, I had a nice, chill weekend. Maybe I drank a little bit uh, yesterday, which maybe I shouldn't have done. But, you know, hey, man, it, it was a special occasion. All right. We'll get right back to the grind. In fact, I went right back to the gym today. So it's all good. A cool thing, too. Uh, Saturday, uh, me and my wife had dinner with my coach and his wife. That was a lot of fun. That was very, very cool. They were able to get a babysitter for their little girl. And uh, we hung out. So good times, man. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I look. Real quick, I know that the Friday wrap-up was a little loaded and a little heavy, and I know some of you guys are sensitive to that. I get it. But most of you, when I say most, I mean 90-plus percent, really appreciated that show. And I thought we had some great calls and some great conversation. And, yeah, maybe the subject matter was a little uncomfortable, but, man, sometimes you got to have those uncomfortable discussions to get to um, – just to get to a better place, you know, and I, I just, it felt very necessary. I got a bunch of messages from you guys over the weekend and I, the, the Twitter DMs I didn't see till today, but I got a bunch on other platforms just saying, dude, thanks for doing that show. Holy shit. So um, that felt good, man. I felt like I did some good journalistic work last week in that regard. And then also I did a, a show Thursday night. I did Maestro show. The Hispanics causing panic roundtable. That was a lot of fun. And he brought up some great points that I'm going to talk about uh, today. Um, and I'm going to give a couple more insights on this Crawford top rank thing. I'm not going to talk about the racial bias part. I'm going to talk about the other complaints in the lawsuit because uh, it's kind of interesting. And I do think there's some teeth to a couple of them. So, uh, by the way, Steve Kim, my man, he put out a great article on Snacks website about that situation. And um, I, I highly recommend you guys check that out because he talked to a couple industry insiders and just got their perspective on it, uh, particularly people with legal backgrounds and um, got their insight. And it's it, it pretty much it is spot on for what 
we were talking about last week and what we feel about it. But sometimes you need to hear that extra perspective, you know, from people who have been in the trenches for decades and really, really know this stuff inside and out. So I thought that was a great article by Steve. I highly recommend you guys go read that and check it out, man. All right, news and notes. Let's do it. So uh, hot off the press, the uh, rematch between Rungvisai and Quadras. That is official February 5th in Phoenix. Cool location for that fight. Um, you know, I, I like that boxing is going to different markets. Last year, Atlanta had a ton of business. Atlanta's uh, boxing market had more business last year than it's had maybe ever, but certainly in decades. And we're going to see more of these fight cards. You know, last year we had fights what, in Dallas, um, Miami. We had a bunch of stuff all over Florida, right? And now I, I love that this rematch is going to Phoenix. I think it could do very well there, but they have to promote it. They really have to promote this thing. If you're going to go to a secondary market like that, I get it, but you got to promote the damn fight because it's a fantastic matchup. Also, uh, the following week, February 12th, Daniel Jacobs versus John Ryder. That fight's happening over, I think, in Cardiff, Wales, over in the UK, and that will be on the zone. Um, that's a good fight, man. That's a good fight. And, and look, um, the winner of that fight is going to get a significant fight at 168 later in the year. I truly believe that, especially if it's Jacobs. He could find himself right back in the running. And you know, I, what do you guys think about Daniel Jacobs? Should he beat John Ryder? What about him and David Benavidez? Is that way out of left field? I just think of, you know, David Benavidez needs a dance partner. Canelo's not going to fight him. Okay, he doesn't have a title. He doesn't bring anything to the table. But if he were to fight Daniel Jacobs, that'd be his most experienced, most accomplished opponent of his pro career, right? I, I would like to see that. And I know I get the promotional ties. It's, it's a mess. I get all that. I'm just saying if networks and promoters were – we're not a thing. We're not a, a deterrent. What about Daniel Jacobs? Should he beat Ryder against David Benavidez? I just think that'd be an interesting style matchup. And Jacobs has so much experience that he could bring in there against Benavidez. That'd be fun. I uh, talked about this a little bit last week, tweeted about it. Tony Yoka accepted the terms, uh, the eliminator fight to go against Philip Hergovich. So those two should fight within, uh, I don't know about the first quarter, but definitely the first half of this year, winner of that fight gets a shot at the winner in the rematch between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua. Right now, Alexander Usyk has all the titles, including the IBF. This fight is, will be an IBF eliminator. But I love that matchup. And I did a video a couple weeks ago about uh, Philip Hergovich and why um, several people passed on this eliminator fight with him. And it really made business sense. And I know you guys, you know, I know some of you didn't like my my rationale for that. When I, you know, I was talking about who, who was it? Luis Ortiz, uh, Joseph Parker. I think several people passed up that eliminator. But truth be told, these are the two types of fighters that should be fighting in that kind of fight. We need to see guys like Yoka and Hergovich fight each other because they need to prove themselves to get to the next level, to fight a guy like Joseph Parker, even Luis Ortiz, let alone Alexander Usyk. That's a quantum leap in opposition. So I like this matchup so much better than if it were Parker versus Hergovich or Ortiz versus Hergovich. I like this so much better, man. Yoga versus Hergovich is going to be a lot of fun. All right, uh, more fights, more fights. Uh, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. It's not done, but it's close to being done. And you guys know that I hate reporting rumors because a lot of these rumors that come from anonymous sources are bullshit and it's just clickbait. But this isn't from an anonymous source. This is from Eddie Hearn, okay? So this isn't just me saying, sources, this fight's close. No, 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 no. This is from Eddie Hearn. You guys saw the tweets. You guys saw the posts. He said that this is very, very close to being done for late April in New York at the Madison Square Garden, which is where this fight belongs. Um, you either do this fight in New York or in London. I love that it's coming to New York. I love that it's an MSG, and I think it's in the main room in MSG. That's awesome. And Eddie Hearn, to his credit, gave credit to Jake Paul <laughs> uh, for his 
help and his assistance in getting this thing negotiated and getting Amanda Serrano and her side more money than had been offered before when they were negotiating this fight. So uh, look, man, credit, got to give credit where credit's due. If this thing comes off, I, I said this last week, I still believe it. I don't think it's hyperbole. Prove me wrong, okay? I think this is the most significant fight in female boxing history. I can't think of another fight. There were bigger commercial fights possibly, all right? But in terms of two top pound-for-pound pound female, where, however you rate them, both of these girls are in the top at least three or four pound-for-pound pound with female fighters. So definitely top five, right? Uh, we have Katie Taylor, number one pound for pound uh, at ring. And some people don't like that. Some people think it should be Serrano. But for me, for my money, these are the top two, maybe, maybe two of the top three female fighters in the world fighting each other. That's pretty badass. That's pretty badass. All right. Um, speaking of Phoenix, uh, it's interesting. So I announced Rungvisai Quad. Well, I didn't announce it, but I, I told you guys it was announced. Rungvisai Quadras 2, February 5 in Phoenix. There was a fight that was supposed to take place there February 5. Uh, Jesse Vargas was supposed to fight Liam Smith. That fight got postponed due to the the Cron. Um, well, I don't know if it's the Cron variant or not without COVID. So Jesse Vargas, th that fight is postponed. We'll see what happens there. But that date and that location... They stayed with it, and I like that. I like that uh, we're still going to get a fight on that date right there in that city, and uh, it's a great fight. Rung beside Quadras. So that's it, guys. News and notes. Um, I think, you know, look, man, the schedule isn't great right now, but we're getting some, some good ones. February, March, we got some stuff to look forward to, man. All right. Let's talk about this review preview. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take a quick tangent. Real quick, before I get into that, I want to give a little bit more insight into this top rank thing with Terrence Crawford. Um, because, you know, I read Steve Kim's piece. I talked to a few people over the weekend about it. And I just thought about this a little bit. It just, you know, more perspective. So as it relates with top rank and, and Terrence Crawford's lawsuit, I believe there were six complaints in the lawsuit. Only one of them talked about supposed racial racial bias. And, of course, that's what the New York Post ran with because, you know, it's clickbait and it gets people talking. And got everybody talking. Turns out that's not the main focal point of the lawsuit. And we talked a little bit about that on my show Friday on my channel. But um, <laughs> people are saying top rank um, may have had promotional malpractice and not done the best for Terrence Crawford. So while in theory, I understand that, and I certainly don't want to protect or defend a promoter. I'm always going to defend the fighter uh, over a promoter. You know, it, it is a two-way street. And I think people seem to forget that the promoter's job is to promote events. Promoters are event coordinators, event planners, you think of it like you guys out there who have been married or you have friends and relatives who have been married and sometimes they'll hire a wedding planner. That's basically what a freaking promoter is. They're an event planner. Their main focus is to promote their event, their fight, and to get as many butts in the seats, tickets sold as they can, to get as much media attention as they can, to promote the event, to get people hearing about it. If it's pay-per-view, to get people to buy it, if it's on TV, to get people to watch it, right? That is their focal point, more so than promoting fighters. There's this weird gray area in boxing. Fighters have managers, publicists, advisors. There's all these different terms, all these different words. But they have representatives that specifically their job, okay, specifically to promote the fighter. And I shouldn't use the word promote. Um, I don't know what the right word is, though, because, uh, again, these, these things, there's so much gray area. But if you're a manager and you're representing a fighter, what you're trying to do is increase their platform and their profile in the media. And you're trying to get them interviews, doing shows, doing all this kind of stuff. And then you work with the promoter to get your client the most amount of money possible. 
whether it's one one off by one off, you know, if, if you're free agent and you're doing one fight with this promoter, then another fight with that promoter, or if you're signing an exclusive deal with a promoter, which uh, Terrence Crawford did in 2018, he re-upped with top rank and he was supposed to get two fights a year at 3.5 mil a pop right? Those are the basic logistics of the contract. Uh, we don't know unless, you know, any of you guys out there have read the contract. I sure haven't. What other nuance might be in there? Okay. Because some of these contracts will have, you know, a standard fight rate and then a premium fight rate, maybe a pay-per-view fight rate and et cetera, et cetera. Right? It goes on from there. Um, and then it could get even more complex if it's a fighter that's not from America and it's an American promoter because maybe you're just representing them in America. Maybe you're representing them globally, or maybe you have a partner promoter with the fighter in their home country and it's 50, 50, or, or maybe 75, 25, it could get complex. Okay. But with Terrence Crawford, none of that was an issue. He's an American fighter. There's no foreign TV money coming in or anything like that. So pretty straight up, pretty standard two fights a year, 3.5 mil a pop. So his team or whoever represents him was able to negotiate that with top rank and they got that done. Okay, cool. I got you. If you're top rank, you really can't bitch that your fighter's losing you money. You did the contract and you agreed to pay them a certain amount of money. That's on you. So for Bob Arum to bitch publicly about Terrence Crawford, uh, losing him money. Well, guess what, Bob? You're a big boy and you signed the damn contract. You didn't have to re-sign Terrence Crawford. You didn't have to give him a $3.5 million guarantee knowing he's not a, a ticket seller outside of Omaha and he doesn't really do big ratings or anything. Like You had the track record. You knew what you had. So, so uh, whatever plans they might have had or something, things went by the wayside. And now apparently um, Top Rank only started bitching publicly after Terrence Crawford had bitched to somebody who leaked that to Mike Coppinger and then a piece came out and it got out there in the media. So a source leaked some info to cop and that's how stories get reported over there. And that became a thing. And then I guess Bob Aram reacted to that when he was prompted by media people seeking a clickbaity kind of headline and Bob obliged them. Right. And that's where he started bitching. So look, chicken and egg thing, you know, even if Terrence talks shit first, so what? If you're the big boy in the room and you're the adult in the room, you know, Bob Arum, and you've been doing this for 50 plus years, there's certain things you shouldn't say publicly about your fighter. There may be some teeth to the argument that Bob Arum saying the things he said publicly about Terrence Crawford not selling and his brand, that may affect Terrence Crawford's um, marketability in the boxing market and, and is, is uh, uh, revenue scale. It may affect it. Now, how do you prove that? How, how do you show that with numbers and, and facts and data? That I don't know. And that would be very difficult to prove in court where a judge would buy that and say, okay, I'm going to award you X amount of dollars based on some nasty shit this guy said. Because here's the truth, guys. If everything nasty Bob Arum said, okay, that's that's true. And Bob Arum represented, with an exclusive contract, his company represented Terrence Crawford as a client. I get it. But is Bob Arum saying a couple nasty things during a, a press conference or something, is that more powerful than thousands of people talking shit on Twitter? How many... How many people in certain YouTube channels, in certain media platforms, dissing Terrence Crawford for years and saying he's on the wrong side of the street, how much may that have affected his market share or his profitability? How about an entire boxing platform and not one, but two networks for years pretending Terrence Crawford didn't even exist? for refusing to recognize the WBO because that was the belt Terrence Crawford had. How much did that potentially hurt his marketability and his profits? I would think that years of so-called journalists and new media people ripping the shit out of this guy on YouTube, channels all over uh, 
Twitter, boxing Twitter, and other social media outlets, and an entire platform, the biggest representative platform in American uh, promotional you know, boxing, refusing to acknowledge the guy even existed, and then their vice president publicly saying, he's not a big enough star, we can't afford him. How much does that hurt his profitability? Do any of those people bear any responsibility in this? Now, I know what you guys will say, of course not, because they don't represent Terrence Crawford. They didn't sign an exclusive deal. All I'm saying is, and I agree with that, but all I'm saying is what Bob Arum's contract, Top Rank's contract didn't say Bob Arum couldn't say nasty shit. I'm pretty sure it didn't stipulate in, in there, Bob Arum can't have an opinion and be pissed about fights losing money. All the contract stipulates is we pay him twice a year, $3.5 million. Top Rank did that, except for one particular year, which I'll get to in a second. Outside of that, everything else is trivial. Just as trivial as PBC, Fox, and Showtime refusing to recognize Terrence Crawford was even on this earth for years. And just as trivial as entire YouTube channels, which are some of them indirectly funded by one particular boxing platform and some of the people there and given credentials and given a, 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 um, a perch to sit on, right, at the show, a table at, at the dinner, uh, those guys shitting on him for years. So if, if we're going to nitpick a couple things Bob Aram said, what about all these other people for years? Wouldn't that hurt his profitability just a little bit as well? Because the very same people that for years were shitting on Terrence Crawford, refusing to watch his fights, refusing to buy his pay-per-views solely because of who promoted him, not because of anything Terrence did, but because of who promoted him and what that meant to certain people in their minds, they refused to spend money on this guy. They are directly, in a, in a small way, okay, but directly part of the causation that Terrence Crawford didn't sell well on these pay-per-views. They're a part of the problem. And now they want to flip the script and pretend like, ha-ha, see, Bob Arum sucks. Yeah, Terrence, come over here to our side. Dude, you were kind of the reason why Terrence wasn't selling some of these pay-per-views very well because you were the guy saying he needs to cross the street. You were the guys refusing to buy the pay-per-views because you didn't want to support that devil. Like, it's just really, really funny the way these things work and the way people's, they have very selective memories, very short memories and very selective outrage. When it comes to top rank, I've been thinking about this a lot. Maestro made a great point um, on the HCP uh, roundtable Thursday night that I was on. He said, to use his word, he said that top rank is very cookie cutter in the way that they promote. I would go a step further than that. And I would say they're very conservative in the way they promote. Okay. And I would, I would also, I would add, they are the best in the business at developing talent, signing talent either from the amateurs or unrecognized pro talent, which is what Terrence Crawford was about 10 fights into his career. Nobody wanted him. Not Al Heyman, not Eddie Hearn. None of these guys wanted him right? Top rank will sign guys like that. Or even a, a guy like Jamel Herring coming out of a contract with a promoter that didn't treat him right. They are, bet they are better than anybody else at taking talent like that and developing it and turning those fighters into um, sometimes champions, sometimes multi-weight champions, sometimes fighters of the year. Uh, in the case of Terrence Crawford, he was the fighter of the year. I can't remember which year it was, but he won fighter of the year honors pound for pound list, three division champion, one division, he was undisputed, right? Top rank did all that for him. Top rank's very good at doing that. What they are not very good at doing in this era, in my opinion, is marketing pay-per-views and getting fighters the, the absolute most amount of money that they can get them. Top rank does not overpay fighters, even though they overpay Terrence Crawford. Every now and then they do, okay? But for the most part, they pay at market rate and they, they play a very, very safe conservative game with the way that they promote. So 
If you're an Irish fighter, you'll fight on St. Patrick's Day. If you're a Puerto Rican fighter, you'll fight uh, the weekend of the Puerto Rican Day Parade up in New York, right? Um, Terrence Crawford's from Omaha. They built him up in Omaha where he could sell 15,000 plus tickets in Omaha, fighting in, in a showcase fight. Just like they built um, Jose Ramirez up in Northern California, right? They promote that way. But they're when you want to... So they're they're smart about marketing that way, right? They'll put a card on Cinco de Mayo with, with Mexican fighters. Every promoter does that now. That is somewhat old school. It's somewhat uh, old fashioned. I would say conservative. It's the way boxing has been marketed for a long, long time. Some would argue, though, that it's not necessarily the best way to promote fighters particularly american fighters and or fighters that don't have some sort of niche or um what's the word i'm looking for like a hook right um in this era it's not the best way to market them and um i can see that and i can see how pbc does some innovative um different things and they market to a more youthful audience they market to the hip hop audience a lot, and they're very, very cunning in the way that they do that. Um, if they do it on pay-per-view, which I don't love, but that gets their fighters paid. So these two outfits and all these promotional outfits do things differently. But if we're sticking with top rank versus PBC, because that's kind of the, the world that Terrence Crawford's stuck between right now. These two companies do things very differently, and they promote themselves very differently. So if you have a fighter like Terrence Crawford, Okay. At a certain level, if he's making one, two million dollars, you could go to Omaha and you could do a fight there. And with that, with the TV money that you're getting, he's good. But when you're getting into a $3.5 million guarantee, you got to go out of Omaha. You got to go to Vegas. You got to go to pay per view at a certain point. Okay. To get that kind of money consistently, where if you're doing two fights a year, maybe you lose money on the fight that's on ESPN but you hope to make it up on the second fight that's on ESPN pay-per-view. I get all that. But how do you market a fighter like Terrence Crawford under the umbrella in the way that top rank promotes? Because there's no niche audience there for Terrence Crawford. There's no, um, there's no specific hook that he has, right? Not a Puerto Rican fighter, not a Mexican fighter, not an Irish fighter. So there's, so there's no holiday you fight around or whatever, you know, uh, although increasingly, you know, promoters are, are putting cards around Juneteenth and things like that, which I think is smart. I think that's very smart, but it's a different kind of way of promoting um, that that PBC and stuff does. And top rank, I think, is maybe a little out of touch with that. And they don't necessarily promote the same way. So is that bias? Is that Racial bias, I, I, I think it's more cultural than racial, right? Um, because they, they, they do market fighters culturally. They don't promote fighters racially, but they do promote fighters culturally. Top Rank certainly does that. Even Jamel Herring, okay? Jamel Herring, American, black guy, non-Hispanic, right? Former United States Marine. Top Rank has a hook there, and they'd always... Uh, put fights with with pairing around Marine Corps birthday. And, and, and uh, they'd always have a military theme to his shows. It was very, very smart. There's a hook there with Jamel Herring. They tied into that. So Top Rank's good at doing that. But the thing that Terrence Crawford wants, and I think the market he wanted to appeal to and push himself to, the demographics he wanted to expand himself with, Top Rank doesn't really do that well. And it's on, in my opinion, Terrence Crawford and his team somewhat to know that. And perhaps in 2018, they should have went a different direction. And it's not just, we've seen this with other fighters. And Steve Kim talked about this in his article today, non-black fighters. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya started with top rank and then he wanted to go a different way. And so he left. Miguel Cotto, same thing. He went his own way. Even Manny Pacquiao eventually went his own way and ended up signing with PBC for a minute. So 
you know, it's not one specific group of fighters, but I do think that perhaps top rank isn't the best in the business at doing what Terrence Crawford wanted. And perhaps he would have been better over at PBC. I think that's um, reasonable to say. I, I, I also, I want to make this distinction too, because a lot of people are bringing up the fact that um, a top rank, you know, uh, seems to put more energy into, let's say, Tyson Fury or, or Vasily Lomachenko or Oscar Valdez or, or Tiafima Lopez, okay? Uh, specifically with Tyson Fury, a few people brought up the fact that, you know, he had duds against Tom Schwartz and Otto Valin. Now, you guys remember, I trolled hard, okay? Because the, the whole lineal thing, that shit was just annoying. But there's something some of you are forgetting. Yes, those, those fights maybe sold 3,000 tickets, but they were in Vegas. So there's a, first of all, you have a casino buy-in. So there's money up front. Boom. There's a casino buy-in there. Second, though, Tyson Fury brings in foreign TV money, right? And it's not significant because he's not a huge star. At least he wasn't before over in the UK. But he did bring in some foreign TV money. But you're also forgetting this, man. Otto Valin, he's from another part of the world. Tom Schwartz from another part of the world. And these guys aren't superstars, but they come from another country. Those countries have networks that want to broadcast the fight. Here's how Top Rank's contract is different than PBC's and others with the networks that they're on, okay? Specific to Top Rank and ESPN. Their deal is limited to America. Top Rank has the ability to sell a fight to any other foreign market that it wants to, and they redeem those profits. They don't whack that up with Disney and ESPN. That's all their money. So when Top Rank has a Lomachenko fight, they can go to other countries and they can say, hey, we got this fight, this event, blah, blah, blah. And they can whack up the numbers and they can sell the rights to that fight to whatever other network in other parts of the world. And they redeem that revenue. That's theirs. That is different because they, they basically have the rights to their fights when they go explore the foreign market. That's very different than the packaging and the deals that PBC has with uh, Fox and Showtime and even some of the way the deals on DAZN are done, okay, uh, Matchroom and what they got going on. It's very unique and specific, and it's very smart by top rank. So it's not necessarily that they are favoring fighters of different races, quote unquote, but yes, the fighters from Latin America, the fighters from Eastern Europe, the fighters from maybe the UK or whatever it is, they do bring in additional revenue, additional revenue streams that top rank keeps to themselves that an American fighter doesn't necessarily bring in. Okay. So there, there's a difference there. And also, when you're talking about like Lomachenko, let's say, uh, that is um, a different pay scale. Lomachenko is not making what Terrence Crawford makes. And he's never been on pay-per-view before. There hasn't been a need to go to pay-per-view. There almost was with the Tiafima Lopez fight, but they were able to get that negotiated. And Lomachenko had something to do with that, right? Terrence Crawford has been very, very firm. I'm not changing my damn pay scale. I'm not negotiating shit to make a fight happen. You figure it out because you promised me this rate, right? That's on him. So, so you can't really compare those two different pay scales. When it comes to uh, Tyson Fury, guys, I looked real quick. This is just Instagram. Tyson Fury has 5.4 million followers. Lomachenko has 2 million followers. Both Tiafima Lopez and Terrence Crawford have 750 followers. How does a guy like Tiafima Lopez, who has half the fights, one third the amount of fights that Bud has, how does he have as many followers on Instagram? Shakur Stevenson. He doesn't have half the fights Bud does. He's got 500,000. Now, Yoya Inoue, he's not even American, doesn't even speak English, has 650,000 followers. And that's just Instagram. I didn't check Twitter, TikTok, all the other crap, okay? That's just one platform. That's just one social media platform. But I bring it up because it shows the difference, the, the, the media scope that these different fighters have. And I think you guys have to remember, there's this world outside of America called Earth. And it matters, okay? And there's money in these other parts of the world too. <laughs> and that's and these the smart promoters 
are tapping into that shit. I think in the future, these promoters are going to start um, looking at fighter branding and looking when they're talking about purse guarantees and things like that, they're going to start looking at Instagram. They're going to start looking at TikTok and things like that. And they're going to start saying, hey, you got to have this amount. You have to, we have to be able to monetize, right? If you've got a million followers and we could get 10% of those people to tune into the fight, okay, let's whack up these numbers and all the monetization that brings. Okay, we can do this guarantee. But at some point, smart promoters are going to start looking at stuff like that and taking it to the contracts and the guarantees and putting the onus on the fighter to do a certain amount of promotion and promoting the fight is the promoter's job, but personal branding, that is not a promoter's job. It is not a promoter's job to develop a brand of a fighter. Canelo Alvarez, did Golden Boy Promotions help him out? Yeah, sure. But a lot of that branding, him and his team have done. Floyd Mayweather, classic example, uh, more than anybody else. He branded himself. Top rank developed him and made him a fantastic fighter. PBC, uh, now Heyman, got him paid buku bucks. But the branding, that was all Floyd and his people, right? Some smart people around him that tapped into something. Maybe something kind of nasty that they tapped into, but it worked for them, right? So that's how the onus is on the fighter, their publicist, and their team to handle that stuff. That is not on a promoter. So all this notion that, oh, promoters need to promote. No shit. Promoters need to promote their fight, their event, not necessarily do the branding for the fighter. That's on the fighter and their team specifically. All right, that's enough with that rant. I promise you guys we get into this review preview and we'll do that. First, I saw a super chat I must jump to real quick before we move on. CJ Duncan in the house with the super chat. Thank you so much, CJ. He says, listening late, but salute Montero, TNC, MOB. Appreciate that, brother. Appreciate that. All right. Quick review preview, and then we'll do some calls. All right, guys? Uh, because there's not a whole lot to review and preview. <laughs> Uh, last Saturday, January 15th, top rank on ESPN, Turning Stone Resort and Casino, Verona, New York. Joe Smith Jr. improves to 28-3 with a KO9 win over Steve Geffrard, defends his WBO 175 title. Uh, this is pretty one-sided. Scores at the time of the stoppage were 80-72 and 79-73 twice. Uh, Smith, let's give him credit. He has improved a lot since those losses to Sullivan Barrera and especially Dimitri Bevel. He showed some new wrinkles in his game, different punches, different angles. He's been working on some stuff. Also, you want to talk about uh, promotion. Joe Smith Jr., he's an American guy. He's not black, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not black. Um, does Top Rank do anything different for Joe Smith Jr. that they did for Jamel Herring, Terrence Crawford, anybody else? Could you guys answer that for me? Um does Joe Smith Jr. get any special treatment or any additional promotion? Not that I compare him as a fighter to Terrence Crawford, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, can you guys see any evidence of additional push? I'll tell you who gets additional push well beyond what's deserved. Nico Walsh. I got nothing against him, but Nico Walsh is both Caucasian and black, and he gets more push than pretty much all of top ranks fighters, except for Tyson Fury. And he's got how many, two pro fights. He's someone's grandson. I, I can't remember, but yeah, maybe that's the, he has grandson privilege, but guys, I, I'm just putting those just a couple things out there. You know, it's, this is a top rank card. So I, you know, it's relevant. Also on this card, uh, Puerto Rican born, but New York based upstate New York based uh, featherweight prospect, Abraham Nova with a TKO eight win. Improves to 21 and 0, uh, 28 years old. That uh, prospect is so it's time for him to step it on up. That's it with the preview. Now, for Joe Smith Jr., the only fight to make, in my opinion, uh, going forward is Arthur Beterbiev. I want to see or Arthur Beterbiev, uh, however you pronounce it. I want to see that damn fight next. That is the fight I want. Do it. Unify the damn division. 
Let's see it, man. They're both top-ranked guys. Um, there's no need not to do that fight by the end of this year. And I think it's can't-miss, fight-of-the-year potential, uh, just in terms of styles. It would be just two dudes coming forward slugging. Uh, not a whole lot of defensive beauty. Although I do think Joe Smith has an underrated defense. He covers up pretty well. But I just think that, first of all, that fight will be more competitive than people think it will be. Uh, if that would have been announced a couple years ago, people would have thought it'd be a slaughter. But now, dude, that's a pretty close fight. Really competitive. That's the one they got to do next. If they don't get that done by the end of this year, shame on top rank. All right, preview time. This Saturday, January 22nd, PBC on Showtime, TGB Promotions at the Borgata, the Borgata Hotel Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey. In the main event, Gary Russell Jr. making his annual performance against uh, undefeated Filipino fighter Mark Magseo. This will be the sixth defense of Russell's WBC featherweight title that he won back in 2015. I don't know how he still has this title. He did not fight at all last year, right? But somehow he does. Um, Russell is 7-0 since his loss to Lomachenko in June of 2014. So that means he has fought seven times in almost eight years. In that same span of time, Maxeo has fought 17 times. So in the same span, uh, again, let me repeat this. Since June of the summer of 2014, Russell has fought seven times. He's 7-0. Maxeo is 17-0 over the same time. Of course, opposition level, very, very different. Maxeo is basically a glorified prospect. I think there's something to him. I think he's got something to him. But this is an insane leap in opposition quality of opposition for Magseo, uh, who is a little taller, a little longer, a couple decent wins, but nothing in the same stratosphere as Gary Russell Jr. Look, all things considered, and I've been saying this for years, you guys know it, Gary Russell Jr. might be the best featherweight in the world. He still might be the best featherweight in the world. Th there's a lot of people that feel bad for him saying he doesn't get the big fights, he's ducked. Here's my thing. Leo Santa Cruz flat out ducked him, right? And a couple other guys that were with the same promotion. These were in-house fights that did not get made, right? For all the talk we've heard about other promoters, and I just spent 30 minutes elaborating on, this particular outfit seems to get a complete blind pass on this one. Gary Russell Jr., Leo Santa Cruz, never happened, both with the same promotional outfit, same weight class, in and around the same weight class for years. These guys have been getting uh, – Santa Cruz getting preferential treatment from the WBA. He's allowed to hold belts hostage. Gary Russell Jr., preferential treatment from the WBC. Why have these two never fought? I do think Santa Cruz has avoided induct Russell. I, I don't think Russell's afraid of Leo Santa Cruz. Um, I, I do believe that. Uh, look, Gary Russell Jr. fought Lomachenko. All right, let's give him credit. So I think he's willing to fight these guys. Now, Leo Santa Cruz is willing to fight for a certain price, right? Kind of be a mercenary like he did against Tank Davis. I don't think he's afraid to fight. But how did this fight never happen? And how does nobody in media talk about PBC and Heyman and blame them at all? I just, I, I love the double standards with this stuff. It's just hilarious to me. But uh, I can't feel bad about Russell because he demands a certain purse guarantee. He won't go below it. You have to pay him a certain amount or he's not getting in the ring. And there's only so many guys that do want to fight him, particularly because he doesn't bring in a whole lot of money. His own promoter preferred, in the example I just used, Leo Santa Cruz over him, because Leo Santa Cruz is one of Al Heyman's favorites, has been for years. Uh, Leo named one of his kids after Al. So, like, they're really tight. And so Russell kind of is getting a little bit of the Terrence Crawford treatment over there at PBC, dare I say, except they don't get him in the ring half as often as top rank got Terrence Crawford in the ring. Hmm. Interesting. Molto interessante. Um, also on this card, Super Real Matias uh, in a rematch with Petros Anayan. Uh, this is a 12-rounds, 140-pound fight. They fought in 2020. Anayan won by unanimous decision. He dropped Matisse in round seven of that fight. Without that knockdown, 
Fight would have been a draw. So very, very close fight. Anayan is a Russian-born Armenian, now lives and trains out of Los Angeles. That should be a pretty entertaining fight, man. And then um, we got another good one here. This is going to be a fun little triple header. None of these fights are outstanding, but it's going to be a fun little filler kind of triple header. Uh, Tugsat Nayambayar, the Mongolian who fights out of Los Angeles, going up against Vic Pasias uh, out of California, who's a southpaw. Uh, 10 rounds, 126 pounds. Both coming off losses. King Tug has actually lost two of three. He lost to Gary Russell Jr., um, I think a year or so ago. And then uh, his last fight, he lost to Chris Colbert, where he moved up to 130. Now he's back down at 126 where he belongs. He was kind of used there to build up Colbert a little bit. Uh, then they brought him back down where he should be. Pasillas was stopped in 11 rounds last January against Raiz Alim. He was dropped four times in that fight. So uh, Nyambar has shown a, a great chin. Really hard to hurt that guy. Pasillas has been hurt, but um, has a, a very friendly, uh, fan-friendly style. You know, will come forward on you at times. Uh, he's a southpaw, so he's a little tricky. That's going to be a fun fight, man. All right. Uh, I think I got everything. So now we can go to the phones. Let me, um, let me jump over there. And, uh, yeah, we'll do it. Hang on one second while I make sure I'm not missing anything. No super chats? I right, Cool. Let's jump to these phone calls. We got one guy who's been on the phone for damn near 40 minutes. So let's bring him on. Uh, 513, what's up? You're on TNC. Hey, Mike. It's Andrew. Uh, what's up, man? I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Absolutely, yeah. brother. Shoot, man. Uh, for, the first one is uh, because I guess there's not a lot of boxing news. My mind's been uh, drifting. What do you think of the chances that uh, top rank uh, with Jared Anderson takes him to his hometown in Toledo for a headlining fight this year? Because that would be awesome for me because I'm, I'm an Ohioan. I would love to go to the fight. <laughs> I think it's a good possibility because top rank does that. You know, I, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. They, they, um, they're taking uh, Ramirez back to Northern California where he's from. They've had um, Terrence Crawford fight in um, – Omaha. So yeah, I think it's a good possibility and that'd be awesome. I'd love to see that, man. I'm sure everybody there in that community would be all about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm down in the, the Southwest corner of the state. I'd travel up there. I, I got family in Toledo. It'd be really easy for me to do. <laughs> cool, man. Um, uh, yeah. I, I hope that, I hope that ends up happening. Um, I would like to give a couple thoughts about uh, Crawford's situation. Um, first question i have is uh what does this mean for i mean if he doesn't end up getting spent is there still a possibility of him being able to pivot back to a josh taylor fight potentially or is that you think dead because of the lawsuit i don't know man um that the one thing about bob aram is he is a businessman first and foremost so uh both crawford and taylor are with mtk global so they kind of represent them on, a, on the managerial side. So from that perspective, it is certainly possible. But if you're top rank and you could do a Josh Taylor, Teofimo Lopez fight or something like that, you're definitely going to go that route before you work with uh, Terrence Crawford again. So I don't know, dude. This lawsuit probably is, is going to hold that fight up, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that, that's a fight that, you know, me personally, I really would love to see. I, I, I view yeah. both of those guys as two of the five best fighters in the world. Yeah, I think that's a better fight than the Spence fight, personally. I mean, that, that, that's, that's my Probably opinion. is. And that's a good point. That's a good point. So, for me as a diehard boxing fan, as most of us are, I think would rather see that fight than Spence at this point. Because I, I don't even know if Spence gets past Ugas because we haven't seen him. I mean, he's just, yeah, he's beat Danny Garcia and not done anything since the car accident. It's like, how much is really left there? Cause I mean, Danny Garcia hasn't done anything since that fight. So what was left in his tank? <laughs> right. Yeah. Those are all good points, man. And, and I don't disagree. Um, it, but unfortunately that fight might be ruined. I hate to say that because I really think Crawford and Taylor are, might be the two two of the most dog fighters. You know what I'm saying? Like they got that dog in them and that mean streak. 
And I love that about both of them. And Crawford's is is the best in the business. I mean, when when he gets mad, some some guys when they get mad, they get worse. When he gets mad, he gets better. He gets like twice as good. He's already insanely good to start with. So uh, that would just be so fun to watch, man. It really would. Well, I just think if there's anybody out there, uh, Josh Taylor, I think is uh, honestly, I know this might sound weird, but his frame at 140 might be bigger than Bud's frame at 140. I know it sounds odd because Bud's been at 147 for years now, mm-hmm. but you know, he puts on a few pounds of muscle. He, he gets a little vicious on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I mean, he, He'll he'll sneak shots in there, and it, it, I mean, you know, he, he starts doing that. Bud starts to get ticked off. All right, it's time to go. I think that turns into a war by the second half of the fight, and I, I I don't see how that doesn't win fight of the year if it ever happens. And my I guess the only hope that I really see now for that fight actually happening is if Josh Taylor's like, no, I want Bud. I don't care. I'm gonna use the WBO rules to make myself the mandatory to Terrence Crawford at 147 and hopefully he decides to do that um because I, I do think that is the biggest money uh fight available for josh taylor <laughs> yeah probably um he's gonna have options it, it just depends and you know, he's got to take care of business against Catterall. and but then again you know don't forget about tiafimo lopez um it depends on how long he wants to stay at 140. I want to see him back in the win column. I want to yeah, see him yeah. back in the win column again. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you know, because we know Tiafimo Lopez is a great lightweight. I, I think 140 pounds is a lot of just underrated fighters. Like, yeah. if top rank put Tiafimo Lopez in with Jose Zapata tomorrow, I'm picking Jose Zapata to win the fight. You're not alone. I mean, but how about Taylor versus yeah, Cepeda? I, 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 how about Taylor versus Cepeda? Give me some of that. That's a great fight. That's Hell a great yeah, fight. I, I would, I would love. It. It's not as good as the Crawford fight, but you know, right. Cepeda definitely has earned himself another shot after knocking out Jose Vargas and uh, Baranchik. Yes, Ooh. I and I and that's a fight that's easy to make for top rank, and I do believe Cepeda is a mandatory for one of the belts. So I think that fight is highly likely this year. Again, it just depends on if Taylor wants to stay at 140. If he does, I think we absolutely get Taylor's a payday by the end of this year. And that's a fantastic freaking fight, man. Yeah, well, you know, I would definitely take it as a consolation prize of seeing Josh Taylor in there with uh, uh, Terrence Crawford. The okay. only other thing I wanted to touch on is I just wanted to say I agree with you wholeheartedly about Joe Smith Jr. versus Arthur Baturbiev. I think that is a violent, violent fight. Yep. And the diehard fight fans are just going to love it. I also think it's the best thing that anybody can do to help potentially build, a, make a, a fight between either guy and Canelo bigger is put yes. those two guys together at Madison Square Garden, You know, really put a big push behind that fight promotionally get it in front of as many eyes as possible. And then you get to cash out on the winner against Canelo. And I think uh, hopefully, I think Bob Aram sees that you really see that's kind of what they want to do. If they got to throw the WBO in the trash for Anthony yard to get the Canelo fight afterwards, just, just do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Cause whoever wins that fight's going to have some buzz behind them. <laughs> Great points, man. Good stuff today, Andrew. All right, I'll see you later. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Mike. All right, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you know, I talk about it all the time, guys. Like, um, I say that Charlo and Andre need to fight each other to create demand for a Golovkin fight. Well, you can argue the same thing with, um, I'm sorry, uh, Smith and Better Beef because neither one of those guys are household names. They need to fight and throw Bevel in there, too. Those guys need to fight each other to create the demand for the Canelo fight. Um, so, so you know, let's be consistent. Let's be fair. Uh, I want to get to this comment from Gail because it's a very good one. Gail Falkenthal, uh, one of the smartest, most intelligent, knowledgeable ladies in boxing, says, uh, been a rough year for Russell Jr. His brother passed away and his father slash trainer has been extremely ill. So Russell has been in his brother's corner. Brother Gary Antoine will be in his corner Saturday. All great points, Gail, and all true. Yes, um, Gary Russell Sr. has been ill. 
very underrated trainer trainer. Uh, boxing is a family business to the Russells. And while it's, it's, it's great how, how all of them are so good and they've all had great amateur success. Sometimes I get the impression that Gary senior is more passionate about the sport than all of his sons. And, um, you see that kind of in the way that they go about business. Gary Russell Jr. to me is a little bit like Mikey Garcia in the sense that he's really good at boxing. It's all he knows, and he's really, really freaking good at it. And it's a way for him to make an insane amount of money, way more than he'd make doing anything else, right? So, so he does it. It's his job, but he's not overly passionate about it. I don't know if he loves boxing. But yes, it's been a tough year for him. I think he's going to come into the ring very inspired with a heavy heart. I think he's going to fight great this weekend. All right, back to the phones. We got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, bro? I'm good, Mike. And you? Good, man. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, the, the fight this weekend, just really quick. Um, I thought uh, Abraham Nova looked all right. Um, I did like the fact that he came out with his own cheerleaders and his own mascot. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah. You don't see that too often in boxing. Um, and that's a really good way of promoting yourself as a fighter when people don't really know who you are. I mean, that's a creative way to do it. And I mean, that's good on the uh, fighter that he took the initiative to come up with that concept in order to, you know, put himself out there. So that way people, uh, know who he is. Um, as far as the fight, you know, he looked all right against the guy he fought. Um, I do give him credit, though, because not too many people um, have been calling out uh, Emmanuel Navarrete to fight. Mm-hmm. But Nova said he was willing to step in there and fight him. Uh, I don't think he can beat him. But, hey, if he wants to take on the challenge, I- I'm I'm here for it. I wouldn't mind seeing him uh, fight uh, Navarrete if, if they want to line that fight up. Um, and then with Joe Smith. I mean, you can't take too much out of it. It was just a, a solid performance. He, he was fighting okay. a guy that came in on a week's notice, and, you know, he went out there. Um, like you said, I've noticed that he has improved. Joe Smith has improved in certain areas where, like, he doesn't get his hit often as far as, like, he doesn't get hit flush. He moves his head a little more. He, he tends to put his hands up to cover himself um, a lot better, and he's using his jab. Uh, to keep his distance and kind of measure his shots too. So he's added little wrinkles to his game over the last few years that have kind of allowed him to, you know, get better. Um, I agree though, Mike, I definitely wouldn't mind seeing him fight um, Baturbiev, but I'm wondering if Baturbiev wouldn't ask for at least one more fight before he fights Joe Smith, just to kind of knock some more rust off because, He'd been sitting for so long before he fought Marcus Brown last month that I don't think all of the rust is completely off of him. I think he probably asked for at least one more fight before he fights Joe Smith, but I agree. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight at some point later this year. And like you said, if they don't make it, that that's just ridiculous. You got two guys with two of the belts or three of the belts in the division. You gotta make you gotta make that fight at some point or another. If not mm-hmm. That's just a, a waste. Um, and then uh, regards to the card this weekend, like you said, Mike, none of the fights are really spectacular, but it's a solid card. Um, Gary Russell, you know one thing about Gary Russell, though, Mike, and I've always heard this from people who are like fans of his and everything. I understand that, you know, he had um, the personal issues going on with his brother and, and his father. But the two, the two biggest points people have always brought up about Gary Russell um, he's apparently invested his money really well. Yes. And they say he, he's really well off. Yep. But also, too, the biggest issue with him is he's always complained about having brittle hands. And that's mm-hmm. why he doesn't fight very often. So I think at this point, he is who he is just because of the fact that I don't think physically his hands can handle fighting uh, multiple times a year at this point. And also that he's he's about to be thirty four years old, Mike. That's not he's not a young guy anymore. Yeah. At this point, he's a grizzled vet, and I think all that wear and tear is starting to just kind of finally catch up to him. And I think he knows it. 
And that's why I think he's very selective about who he fights and when he fights. But like you said, though, he's a hell of a talent. It's just unfortunate his body doesn't allow him to um, display the talent more often than once a year. But, you know, he should win. Um, Max Sayo, like you said, he's a decent prospect. But like you said, it's a huge leap. Um, right. He he was very vulnerable in the fight against Seha. Yep. And I'm not convinced that he's ready for Russell at this point. I mean, the only way Max Sayo wins that fight to me is if Russell just falls off a cliff. But I don't anticipate that happening. I think Russell should win that fight. Um, and then the other one with the rematch between um, Matias and uh, I, I can't remember the other guy's name. What did you say? Um, his name was Anaya. Petros Anaya. Anaya. Yeah. Um, I think Matias is going to go in there motivated because, you know, this guy beat him and he kind of uh, said in an interview that he was really uh, unprepared for that fight when they gave it to him the first time around. So he, he feels like he thinks he's going to be better prepared for the rematch. And I anticipate that happening. And I just think that he's going to go in there and he's going to get revenge and he's going to overwhelm Anaya. And I think he ends up probably stopping him in about eight or nine. And then the last fight with uh, Tug and uh, Vic Pacias, um, that should be an interesting fight just because uh, Tug has lost his last couple and then Pacias lost his last fight mm-hmm. and he got dominated pretty pretty bad by Aleem. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out and you know puts their um, best foot forward in that fight. So I think that's probably the most intriguing fight of the three because you don't know what you're going to get from either guy. Right. But it should be a fun card to, uh, to watch for sure. Um, and then uh, you talked about the uh, the Stevenson. Uh, oh, I don't know if you brought that up about Stevenson and Valdez supposedly almost being. It's uh, right now. It's just a rumor. That's why I didn't want to talk about it because it's yeah. just a rumor with anonymous oh, sources. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I love that I, fight. I, that somebody... I hope it can happen. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so, too, because a lot of people have been really, you know, uh, crapping all over Valdez recently and saying he's ducking Stevenson. So I do hope that, you know, he puts, you know, he puts the a lot of that uh, doubters to rest just by taking the fight, because um, I think he he definitely has a shot to win that fight. I mean, I'm, I mean, as, as good as Stevenson is, Mike, I still feel like he hasn't really been tested yet. And I think Valdez might be the guy to to give him a legitimate test at this point. But like you said, we'll see what happens uh, with that fight. And um, and just really quick, you were talking about Crawford. I don't really want to go into it too much. I just have one question, Mike, and maybe I'd like to just hear what you think. Uh, Tim Smith said in that podcast that PBC isn't interested in him because they don't think they can afford to pay him what he's looking for. My only question is, Mike, and I'll, I'll let you answer it after I get off. They were able to come up with $40 million, apparently, to pay Canelo to fight Caleb Plant. <laughs> but they can't come up with enough money to give Terrence Crawford what he wants to make a Spence fight? I just find that really uh, interesting that they've taken that position uh, in regards to Terrence Crawford and what kind of value he brings to the table. Uh, that's my call, Mike. Good stuff, man. Good stuff, brother. Have a good one, Nacho. Thanks. You. That's a good point. Um, it's a fair point. You know, um, the the one thing with Canelo is, you know, he 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 brings in that kind of money, and also with Canelo, foreign TV is huge with him. It's huge, and PBC doesn't have that with a lot of their fighters. So with I, I I definitely think they overpaid and lost money on that fight, probably. Uh, but when you, I don't know, we could do quick math. Let, let me just do one quick math equation here while we got uh, you guys on. I mean, because apparently that did 800,000, right? Times what, 80 bucks a pop, I think it was. Okay, that comes out to 64 million, but half of that goes to the professor. So that's 32 million. Then you factor in ticket sales foreign money, all that, they probably did okay. They probably did okay. And uh, the thing is, Crawford just doesn't bring any of that in, man. 
Super chat pledge from Feeling Dangerous 113. Thank you so much, brother. He says, Mike, I know the haters went after you last week. Just know for every hater, there are four or five people or more who love your podcast and your articles. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, honestly, with these haters, man, it's a small group of people. Um, it's it's a dozen or so of these assholes. And, you know, for the record, several people in the industry heard my show Friday and uh, and reached out to me. And people called me. People texted me. Um you know, not, not just, um, friends, but actual people who work in the business and, uh, we're saying, Hey man, chin up. Uh, these people are dicks. And yeah, a couple of people at one particular platform and some of the higher up executives, um, listen to them. But outside of that, nobody really pays attention to these people. They're all assholes. <sighs> On that note, <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, guys. And uh, we'll do it Friday on my channel, the Friday Wrap-Up. All right? Until then, enjoy your week. Stay warm. And, um, yeah, have a good one. Peace.